can open up your Bibles to Ephesians. Today's scripture reading comes from Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to be starting in verse 15. That's Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Jody. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Justin Darris. I'm one of the elders here, and I'm so excited that we get to study God's Word together this morning. Um, one thing I wanted to mention before we jump in uh, to our study of the Word, we, we pray, Jason just prayed for Kevin and Colleen McFadden. Um, Kevin is one of our, he's one of the other elders here, one of the lay pastors, um, and he shared with us last night that his sister who's been battling cancer passed away um, yesterday. So um, I would just encourage you to um, think about them, pray for them, um, keep them on your, on your mind, look for ways to serve them during this difficult time, um, and keep them in your prayers. <clears throat> well, as Jody mentioned, we are in Ephesians chapter 5, um, and so one of the things I've been thinking about as I've been studying this text, you'll have to forgive me, I spoke for Mobilize this morning, so I'm testing the limits of my voice, and then I like melted my taste buds on hot tea earlier during the songs, so... <laughs> It's going, to be, uh, it's going to be quite the feat to get through this one. But as I've been thinking about this text, I was thinking about the past two years when Kels and I and some friends who are, in, even in this room, made a trip for our summer vacation down to the Outer Banks. Now, we love the Outer Banks. If you've ever been there, you know it's like a small slice of paradise out there in North Carolina. But for someone like me, um, before I get there, I am often an anxious traveler. So I'm the one who is making all the lists. I'm making lists for the lists that I need to make um, so that I don't forget anything, checking things off as we go. But I think the, the, the pinnacle of my anxiety for the trip is always the vehicle. It's always the car. You know, I've been in enough, uh, enough times where my car has broken down, thankfully not on long trips, but to know if that ever happens, when I'm on my way to paradise, I will not be happy. Now, thankfully, we have, you know, a somewhat new car, so it is somewhat of a, an irrational anxiety, but it's an anxiety nonetheless. And why is it that it's such an anxiety for me? Well, as you think about it, the car is the means by which we arrive at our destination, we need that engine to run reliably so that we can get to where we want to go. And if you think about that location, we think about the results that come from a vacation in the Outer Banks. We spend, we have a lot of fun. We hang out together. We get to spend time on the beach. Those are all results of our car getting us there successfully. And so the reason I think about this is because I see in our text today some similarities the main argument that we'll be seeing from Ephesians 5 is that God's people live wisely and unified by the Spirit and overflow with godliness because of the Spirit. God's people live wisely and unified by the Spirit and overflow with godliness because of the Spirit. Now you'll notice we skipped a few verses. That's because our schedule, uh, we're going to be coming back to those. So if you're like, oh no, I missed that episode, um, we're going to come back. Don't worry. Um, so, uh, but because of schedule, this is where we are today. But we see God's people live wisely and unified by the Spirit and overflow with godliness because of the Spirit. Just like that vacation, we get there by means of that car, and the results of that vacation are because that car got us there. 
So that's what we're going to see. And what I want to do this morning is to look at that main argument and kind of break down how did we arrive at that point and what does it mean for us as followers of Christ. But before we do that, I want to give some background about where we've come from in the book of Ephesians. So if you think about Ephesians, most broadly, we can think about Ephesians being uh, broken up into two halves. You have chapters one through three, where we get this great treatise, this theological treatise about what God is doing for his people, what God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, how they're working throughout all of time and history to redeem a people for himself. So we've seen Father, Son, and Spirit working together to accomplish this. We've seen how we've been raised with Christ from the dead. We've seen how God has removed division among his people. We've seen how God has made us into a new person, and he tells us to change our clothes. And this is where we get into the second half of Ephesians, where Paul gives us more practical commands. This is what the new life now looks like as the covenant community of God's people. He tells us to put off the old man, put on the new man. And the previous passage, which we won't cover today, but to at least allude to it, it gives us a picture of walking in light versus walking in darkness. How the way of the world, the way of ignorance is to walk in the dark, and to um, the way of Christ, the way of God's people, is to walk in the light, to be illuminated in our minds. And I think that text about light and dark gives us a preview of our text that talks about wisdom talks about foolishness. And we're going we're gonna to work hard to understand what God is teaching about wisdom. So we see, first of all, God's people live wisely. Now, where do we see that in this text? Well, look, verse 15, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Paul starting it, stating it very clearly. Watch yourself. Watch the way you walk to make sure that you walk in wisdom and you don't walk unwisely. So we see it there. Look again in verse 17. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. See, the world walks around like uh, uh, blinded fools. They're kind of stumbling about. They can't see their way. They're foolish. They don't act in wisdom. But God's people, they understand more and more what God's will is for their life. Third thing we see, verse 18 Don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. You think about um, how do people act when they are drunk? Well, typically, they act foolish, right? They're not wise. The person who is drunk is not the person you go to when you have a major financial decision to make to ask them for advice. At least you shouldn't. (laughs) If you're looking for, yeah, you should do that, maybe they're the person to talk to. But God says, don't be drunk with wine, rather be filled by the Spirit. And so we're going to see that if drunkenness is connected with foolishness, which we can see here from the pattern of the text, then being filled by the Spirit in some way must be connected to wisdom. And we're going to see that in a few moments. So hold that in the back of your mind. So we see in the text, God tells us, God says that his people live wisely. We've got that down. But here's the question. What does it mean for us to live wisely? What does it look like for God's people to walk in a wise manner? What we see in verse 16, kind of the first clarifying statement that Paul gives, it looks like this. It looks like making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Now, that word there, making the best use of the time, if you've uh, read the King James Version, you'll know that it says redeem the time. Uh, another way of saying it would be to, uh, to purchase the time um, or to buy up the opportunity. See, time there is talking less about the hours and minutes of the day and more about the opportunities that we come across as we walk about our lives. And Paul is saying, buy up every opportunity that you can. Why? Well, because the days are evil. So what does that mean? Well, it means that we live, the present age, the present day, is an evil or dark age. And we we talked about that this morning, immobilize. Sin has infected every single aspect of our world. We know earlier in Ephesians, Paul talks about the prince of the power of the air who's ruling. So we see that 
this world, it's covered in darkness. We live in a sinful, evil age. And because we live in an evil age, Paul tells us to buy up every opportunity. But what does that actually mean? You know, when he talks about buying up opportunities, what does that mean? Well, picture it like this. Um, how many of you enjoy playing Monopoly? How many Monopoly fans? All right. All right. How many of you enjoy seeing lifelong friendships and family relationships torn apart before your eyes? All right, yeah. Yeah, all you Monopoly fans, raise your hand high. Monopoly is, it's one of the most fun games when you're winning and one of the worst games when you're losing, you know? Especially when you're winning because you can be so smug, you know? Oh, oh, looks like you landed on Park Place, so oh well. So Monopoly, I do enjoy Monopoly, when I am winning. But Monopoly has, there is a strategy, right? So the overall strategy is buy up properties, right? You can't win Monopoly unless you own everything. That's the na- literally the name of the game. You have to buy up properties. But there is a little strategy sometimes about which properties you buy, and some of us may have different strategies. So for instance, if you want to look at the statistical likelihood of the properties being landed on, the orange properties, they're the best ones. Because sometimes you get sent back to jail and you have to go through that little corridor again. So orange and red, I typically go for those ones. The, the railroads, that's recurring revenue right there if you have all four of them. Because people can land on the railroad each roll. So you think about these are the opportunities. When we come across these opportunities, we want to buy them up. It doesn't matter how much they cost. It doesn't matter if I have to mortgage one of those purple properties. I want to buy up every opportunity I have to get these highly valuable properties. That's the picture that Paul is giving to us. He's saying as you walk about your life, every opportunity you get to buy, buy something up, buy it. Take it. Don't let it pass you by. The foolish people, they're the ones that let those opportunities pass them by. But the wise people, they buy them up every chance they get. The question is, what are those opportunities? What are these opportunities that Paul is talking about. Well, broadly, these opportunities are chances we have to do good. So an example of this is something we talked about last week. We talked about forgiveness. We have lots of opportunities to extend forgiveness to brothers and sisters in Christ. And so what Paul is saying, that every opportunity you get to show forgiveness, the wise person, he buys up that opportunity. She gives forgiveness when she can. But if you look at it even more specifically, so like broadly, it's, it's opportunity to do good. But if we look at it more specifically, it's opportunity to expose darkness so that others might be raised by the light of Christ. There are opportunities to expose darkness so that others might be raised by the light of Christ. Now, why do I say this? Look at verse 15. It says, look carefully then. Now that then, if you look at the original language, is actually a therefore. So it, it could read, therefore, look carefully how you walk. And we know if there's a therefore there, we should ask what that therefore is there for, right? So why is it there? It's connected to something that comes before it. And we see the previous verses, starting in verse 13. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper. And arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So I think Paul is connecting this first sentence here with something that came before it, namely this idea of Christ raising people from the dead as works of darkness are exposed, as we, as we call sin, sin, and as the light of the gospel shines on them through our good works, through our good deeds. Also, one interesting fact is a parallel passage in Colossians chapter 4. Colossians 4, 5 says this, Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the times. That's the same word, buying up every opportunity. So we see in Colossians and Ephesians, there's this focus on outsiders and this focus on buying up opportunities. So what does this mean? It means that God's people that live wisely, they take every opportunity they get to shine the light of the gospel in dark places. That means when we have opportunities to obey the Lord, 
especially in maybe um, circumstances or situations that may be a little dicey ethically. When we obey what God has for us, we're shining the light in a dark place. We never know how our words, how our deeds, how our actions may affect those who are looking at our lives. It also means that when we have opportunities to share our story about how Jesus has rescued us from our sin, it means we take up those opportunities. And yes, it's difficult, but we're going to see the Spirit is empowering us to shine the light as we share the message of the gospel. So we see God's people live wisely, and that looks like buying up these opportunities. But secondly, it means that we grow in our understanding of how to obey God in all situations. Now we see here that in verse 17, Paul says, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now often when we think of God's will, we can think of almost two categories, right? The, the first category being, what is God's, we might call it secret will. What's his sovereign will? And this is God's will that's, that's been happening for all of time in history. What is God doing with the universe. Where is it all going? That's, that's his, we would call it a secret will, because we don't know everything that he will do. On the other hand, the Bible talks about um, God's will in a way that we might call it God's revealed will. And so God reveals for us, as his people, what it looks like to obey him on a day-in and day-out basis. So that's the will that Paul's talking about here. He's talking about understand how God wants you to live today. But even more specifically, he's talking about understand, grow in your understanding of how to obey God in all situations, in the everyday stuff of life, because sometimes the Bible may not give us a specific answer about what to do in a particular circumstance, right? We think about it in a few ways. If you're here, um, let's say you're, uh, you live at home under your parents, you're uh, in high school, teenager, whatever you might be, uh, there's a biblical command to honor your father and your mother. And so that's the the broad command we have, but God is calling you to understand how to apply that command with all the truth of Scripture, how to best honor your father and mother. And you think about how this could look different depending on who your parents are. Think about if you grew up in another country where um, maybe the Christianity is not the, the, the traditional religion, and where you'll be disowned by your family if you do call yourself a Christian. Well, honoring your father and mother is going to look a little bit different because our first priority is to honor God himself and to believe the gospel. So God is saying, think about how to best obey your parents in all the different situations that you come across. It's even true for people who no longer live at home. And I think that's one of the more difficult things when you transition in your 20s um, as you transition away from home, thinking about how can I honor my father and mother well now even though I don't live at home? So that, that's an example of what Paul's talking about here. Another example would be, um, God tells us, you look at, if you look in Ephesians 6, verse 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So that, that's Paul's command to parents, um, but that doesn't account for every single parenting situation that you come across, right? You know, what happens when your kid is throwing a tantrum in the pasta aisle um, and throwing penne all over the place, like, yeah, that, that's helpful, um, but what are you supposed to do? Well, God, God's telling us we need to grow in our understanding of the truth of God's word so that when our child behaves like that, we know how to best parent them. And everyone here is like, yeah, we're still trying to figure it out. Nobody really knows what to do. But God helps instruct us how do we, how do we handle this situation, how do we speak to our children after the fact, and how do we, over the long haul, train them in the instruction of the Lord. One other example is, let's say you're here and you're single. Um, God is calling you to live wisely, um, thinking about uh, something about like a relationship. That's a good example. You know, we think of, all right, who, if, I, if you desire to get married, we don't think about so much God's trying to tell you to figure out who that specific person is. But if you desire to be married, wisdom says, this is the kind of person that God would have for me. Wisdom says this is what our relationship looks like when we're dating. This is what our relationship looks like when we're engaged. It helps us apply God's truth to all the different areas of life 
where we may not have a flow chart, you know, where it says, if this happens, then do this. If that happens, then do that. You know, I would love to find one in the back where all the maps are, but it's not there. I looked. It's not there. So we don't have that. So that's why we're called to understand, to grow in our understanding of how to obey God in all situations. So that's the second part. Third thing, third, third kind of meaning for this, to don't let wine make you into a fool. Don't let alcohol make you into a fool. See, alcohol, it dulls the mind, right? It kind of dulls the senses. It distorts reality. I saw this uh, a few weeks ago. I was in Las Vegas for a work trip. Um, uh, it was an internal conference, so like 600 people from my company are there. And during the day, you go through, you go through training sessions, all of that, and then at night, they bust you off somewhere, get food, and have some kind of activity or something like that. And one of the activities was like a karaoke place. Um, and there was a lot of foolishness happening there. You can imagine. When people give you a mic and then they give you free drinks, there's a lot of you looking at people and you're like, this doesn't seem wise. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I can think of one, one of my coworkers that I work with on a somewhat regular basis. He's very like buttoned up, straight laced. Um, and he wasn't that night. Um, and so we see that Alcohol, it, it causes us to do foolish things, right? Now, of course, we know there's other places in the Scripture where God talks about how um, wine is given to gladden the heart of men and things like that. And so we have to use wisdom to understand our relationship with the things that God has created. We see that alcohol, it dulls our minds. Um, when we're drunk, we're foolish. When we're drunk, reality is distorted. But under the Spirit, when we're influenced by the Spirit, when the Spirit is filling us, the Spirit renews our minds. The Spirit sharpens our minds. The Spirit helps us see reality even more clearly. So if alcohol dulls our mind, the Spirit sharpens our mind. He heightens our senses. So God is telling us, don't live under the influence of alcohol or any substance, really. Live under the influence of the Spirit who sharpens your mind. So we see that's what it means to live wisely. We see those three principles. But why do we say that God's people live wisely by the Spirit? Why do we say that God's people live wisely by means of the Spirit? Why is the Spirit so important here? Get your Bibles ready because we're going to flip around a little bit. We did some sword drills in Mobilize. We're going to do, I'm not going to ask anyone to stand up and read the text, um, but we're going to be flipping around at Ephesians. So turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1, uh, let's look at verse 16. <clears throat> 16 and 17. Paul says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom. We see here that spiritual wisdom is a gift from God. Wisdom comes from God. So if we're asking the question, how do we live wisely? How do we get more wisdom? Well, the answer is, it comes from God. So spiritual wisdom comes from God. And then look a few verses later. Chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. We see here Christ is the one who fills. Look with me at chapter 4, verse 10. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all heavens that he might fill all things. See, again, Christ is filling. So when we see these words pop up in different spots, we see we're called to be filled by the Spirit. Perhaps God is telling us with this filling language. Look with me at one more verse, chapter 3, verse 19. To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So Christ is filling us with all the fullness of God. What does that mean, the fullness of God? Of God. One commentator puts it like this Paul is praying that they, that, that we, 
may be all that God wants us to be. That we will be full with God's holiness, with his character, with his presence, with his life, with his power. And Christ is the one who does that filling. And then we see chapter 5, verse 18, our text today. But be filled, ESV says with, I think a better word would be by, be filled by the Spirit. So the Spirit is the means by which God fills us. So we have Christ who is filling all things. He's filling all things with the fullness of God. And it's by his Spirit that that gets done that that happens. We can think of it like this. What's the implication of that? It's God the Son filling us with the fullness of God the Father by means of God the Holy Spirit. We see the Trinity at work filling us for what God has for us. We think of the Spirit is the one who gets things done. Christ is the one who says, yes, I will fill all things, and I will fill all things with God, with the fullness of God, with his character, with his life, and with his power. And the Spirit is the one that goes and accomplishes that. It's by the Spirit that we are filled by Christ with the fullness of God. So what does this mean for us? What are the implications of this? Well, First, it means that we have no room to boast. Think about anything good that we do, any wisdom that we use in our lives, any sense of obedience, anything righteous, it's a direct result of Christ filling us with the fullness of God by the Spirit. There's nothing that you are doing where you are the source of that. God himself is the source for all good that you do. And that leaves us no room to boast. It leaves us no room for any kind of pride when we look back on our life. It also means that we have value not only because we're made in God's image, but we have value because we are being filled up with the fullness of God. You see, our worth is not in ourselves. Our worth is not in the things we do. Our worth is in who God says we are. He says we're made in his image. He says that we are being filled up with God himself. And so if you're here and you look at your life and you have the sense of, I just feel like I'm a failure. I feel like I'm worthless. I feel like I am a huge disappointment to God and to those around me. What God is saying is that you do have worth. You have worth because God is giving you worth by working in you and around you by filling you with and by his spirit. It means that if we want to live wisely, we need to be filled by the spirit. So if you're here and you say, I feel like I've done some foolish things in my life. And who here hasn't done foolish things in their life, right? We've all messed up. We all know that probably even this week, we did something stupid. But God is saying, over time, he's continually filling us by his spirit so that we might live wisely. God's people live wisely by the spirit. But God's people also live unified by the spirit. God's people live unified by the spirit. Now, where do we see that? Because we look at some of these verses and we don't see the word unity. Uh, We see something about submitting to one another at the end, but Where do we get this from? Why do we say that God's people live unified by the Spirit? Well, we've seen it all throughout Ephesians, right? We've seen how God's plan from the beginning of time is to create a people for himself that are united in Christ and united together. And we see that teased out in a few different ways. So look at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2, starting in verse 21 in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. God is taking us, the church, and building us into his dwelling place, a unified dwelling place for him to dwell. And he's doing that by the Spirit. Look at chapter 4, verse 3. 
It says, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We see here that it's the Spirit creating unity. The Spirit is the one who creates unity. So what's the implication of that? Well, this is the implication. Trinity Community Community Church's unity is a supernatural unity created by the Spirit and maintained as we are filled by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who has created this unity for us, and He is the one empowering us to maintain this unity. Apart from His work filling us, we are hopeless in our efforts to be unified. And this, to me, this is where the the ordinary meets extraordinary. We talk about how unity, it's, it's messy. You know, showing love to one another, um, showing, uh, you know, um, uh, deference to one another. Um, it's messy. It's difficult. And at the same time, it's glorious. Why? Because it's not happening because we're working so hard to maintain it. It's glorious because God created this unity, and he's filling us with his spirit so that we can maintain it. There's a supernatural work happening between us right now. As I teach and as we read and you say, yes, I believe that and I want to show love to my brothers and sisters here, there's a supernatural work of the Spirit happening that we might be unified. And through our unity, that the world might look at us and say there's something different about them. There's something different about the source that is powering them for their life. Try as we might, we will not live unified unless we are filled by the Spirit. But that leads us to probably the big question for this text. How can we be filled by the Spirit? We've talked about this. Okay, we, need, we know we need to be filled by the Spirit, but how does this actually happen? Especially a command that's passive. If this is, Paul is telling us, allow someone else to do something to you. Allow the Spirit to fill you. I'm commanding you to do something, but you're actually not doing, you're not doing the thing. The Spirit is the one that's doing the filling. So how do we get filled by the Spirit? There's two ways. The first is through Christ's work. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You see, when Christ lived perfectly, when he obeyed God's law in every single way, shape, and form, when he went to the cross to bear God's wrath on our behalf, when he rose again from the dead, he accomplished our salvation and he won every single spiritual blessing for us. We now have access to eternal spiritual blessing because of what Christ has done at the cross. And one way we see that blessing um, teased out is through the filling of the Spirit. We will not be filled by the Spirit unless we have trusted in Christ, unless we have been redeemed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are only filled by the Spirit when we've seen and when we've trusted what Christ has done at the cross. So what does that mean for us? If you're a non-Christian, it means that you need to go to the cross. If you're here and you've never trusted in Christ, you are not being, you're, you're not being filled by the Spirit. You don't have access to eternal spiritual blessing in Christ. But what God is telling us, and we see this in chapter 2, that even though you're dead, turn to the Lord. Repent of your sin. Trust that Christ alone can pay the penalty for your sin and eternal blessing will be yours forever. That truth is also true for those of us that are Christians, right? So if you're here and you are a professing believer in Christ, God's calling us to return to the cross. Remember that every spiritual blessing, especially the blessing of the Holy Spirit, comes as a result of the cross doesn't come because you've done a lot of great things. It doesn't come because um, you've, uh, you've helped 
five people get saved. It doesn't come because of any of the things you do. It comes from the cross. So if you're here wondering, Lord, how, how can I be filled by the Spirit? Meditate on the truth of the gospel. And that leads us to the second way we are filled by the Spirit. It's through Christ's word. That worked out really well when we have work and word. Um, it's the preacher's dream right there. But it's through Christ's word. I know we've been flipping around a lot. We're going to flip one more time. This time, a few pages over to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. And the reason I want to go here is because we're going to see a parallel passage, but it, it helps uh, deepen the truth that we see in Ephesians. So Colossians chapter 3, um, we're going to start in verse 12. And just notice, especially if you've been here the past few weeks, look for maybe some things that sound familiar. Verse 12, put on them as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. We've heard that. And above all these things, put on love. We've heard to, that we're supposed to walk in love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you, indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Now this is key. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And then we see almost exactly the same thing that we see in Ephesians chapter 5. Singing, uh, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father through him. And then even after that, Paul then gives guidelines for what household relationships should look like. If you look back at Ephesians 5, we see this language of address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Be thankful. And then we see Paul goes into talking about relationships in the house. So I think we learn something about the, the parallelism that we see in between these passages. The Spirit and the Word are working together to accomplish this filling. We see that it's through the Word of Christ dwelling in us that we are filled by the Spirit. We see that God works in us as we meditate on his word. So it's not just a matter of reading it and saying, oh, okay, I checked that box off. But it's going to the word and meditating on the truth of the word. And over time, as we kind of chew on the truth of God's word, the spirit applies that word to our hearts. He fills us with the fullness of God. Why do I say that? Well, look at Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6, verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Word of God is the sword, and it's the sword of the Spirit. So the Spirit is wielding this sword of the Word of God in our hearts to change our hearts. It's the Word and the Spirit working to fill us by the Spirit. This is one thing I mentioned um, back a few weeks ago when we were in chapter 1. But this reminds us that we need God to know God. We can read his word all we want, but unless the Spirit does his work in our minds and hearts, we're not going to get anything out of it. We're not going to understand the truth. But as the Spirit works, he applies that word and molds our heart and our minds to what God would have for us. So we see here, God calls his people to live wisely and unified by the Spirit. But we see some results. And those results are overflowing, overflowing um, because of the Spirit and overflowing with godliness. So what does that mean to overflow? So we're being filled continually and continually. God is continually filling us with the fullness of God. But these, these, these words after, the addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and so on, these aren't commands so that we can be filled by the Spirit. These are results that are overflows of God's Spirit filling us. This is what we can expect to see when the Spirit does His work in our hearts. This means that we can rest knowing over time as, the, as we meditate on the Word of God and as God applies the Word to our hearts through His Spirit, we'll begin to see these results. You think about exercise. 
If you go to the gym and you do your bench press and you do your bicep curls and things like that, you're like, Justin, you don't know anything about that. <laughs> Probably right. But what I've heard is you can expect to see <laughs> some results. Now, notice that it's not you going home and saying, all right, now muscles, now's the time to grow. I've put in the work in and let's, let's grow. It's not how it works. It just happens. You exercise, you eat right, and you see the results. Well, this is a little bit of what this is like. As we're filled by the Spirit over time, we can expect to see these kinds of results. And that should be encouraging to us because we know it's not that, oh, we got to try so much harder to do all these things. But as we meditate on the Word and as the, the, the Spirit fills us, this is what will happen, all right? But what is this godliness look like? Well, we've talked about it. It looks like God's character. It looks like his holiness. But we have some specific, specific things. What does it look like? Well, first, it looks like singing to one another. You see that in 19a. Addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So this is one reason why we prioritize gathering together as a family in person once a week. It gives us the opportunity to sing truth to each other. This is a result we have um, when we are filled by the Spirit. It reminds me of why the pandemic early on was so difficult, because while it was nice to have, you know, a, a recorded sermon and recorded songs, and we, we love Tim Molineux and we love John and Kate, but it's just, it's not the same, right? It's not the same when you're singing to a screen. There's something special about us singing to each other and hearing each other's voices, hearing the truth of the gospel. Now, that's not to say that we can't know God and be filled by the Spirit if we are not able to make it to the gathering. You know, of course, there are some circumstances that don't allow that, but this is a result. We, we sing truth to one another. So I'd encourage you, um, as people who are being filled by the Spirit, as you come here and sing, try to maybe listen to the, the person next to you singing. And that person's like, no, don't listen to me. I'm not a good singer. <laughs> But what you have to understand is there's something special. There's a spirit-wrought result happening when we sing truth to one another. If you ever think about, um, you know, maybe before a meal or maybe uh, before you study the word at community group, it was a good opportunity to sing truth to one another. And, you know, it, it can feel kind of weird sometimes. I remember uh, my freshman year in college, uh, we would go to my friend's house and have a meal, like Sunday dinner. But we'd always sing the doxology a cappella before we ate. And at first I'm like, I feel weird. You know, you just kind of like mouth the words, but you don't really sing it. But over time, I really grew to appreciate it. So you realize, like, we're God's family, and we're singing praise to God together. And that's really special. And so we can get over some of that initial awkwardness and enjoy singing to one another. Another specific thought I would give to you, and I can do this because I'm also up here singing sometimes, but if you are leading singing, think about singing to the congregation. Think about the fact that you are, there's the, the Spirit is doing something in your heart when you sing to other people and hear those people sing back to you. There's something so special to hear and see God's people singing about the gospel together. But it's not just singing to each other. It's also singing to Christ. And we see that in the next part. Uh, verse, the second part of verse 19 says, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Think about why we have uh, celebration songs or fight songs. You know, you think about the Eagles score a touchdown. We sing fly, Eagles fly, right? I'm from Buffalo, so I'm a Bills fan. We sing, the Bills make me want to shout. Kick my heels up and shout. Throw my hands up and shout. That's what we want to do when the Bills score a touchdown. We want to celebrate something good that happened. And that's just part of the human experience, right? But think about the fact that we have something so much greater to celebrate than just a Josh Allen to Stephon Diggs touchdown, right? There is something so much greater because it's not just a mere football team enemy that's been defeated. Christ has defeated our greatest enemy. He has defeated death through his work on the cross, and we have all the reason to sing and make melody to Christ. 
I just want to sing now. Uh, <laughs> um, do you ever find yourself uh, singing? You, you just ever think like, you just start singing a song, you know, whatever it is, whether it's Amazing Grace. Kelsey gets mad at me at some of the songs I sing. I don't know. Sometimes I get a Sesame Street song stuck in my head and things like that. <laughs> I haven't watched Sesame Street in 15 years. Um, but you think about the times when a song does come to your mind and you are singing, you know, whatever it might be, that's God's Spirit working in you to sing and make melody to Christ. So when that happens, just catch yourself, stop yourself, and realize the Spirit's at work. He's doing something in your heart and in your soul to make you sing to the Lord. If you're here and maybe you feel like your heart is maybe cold, you don't really feel like singing, or you don't really feel like meditating on Scripture, whatever it might be, I'd encourage you to listen to word-centered music about the gospel to kind of kickstart that cold heart. There's something that music does that affects us in a way, and it can kickstart our cold hearts. Third, we see that this results in thanksgiving. What kind of thanksgiving? Look at verse 20. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus. Paul is saying that people who are filled by the Spirit give thanks constantly They give thanks for everything, they give thanks to God, and they give thanks in the name of Christ. Now, this sounds a little overwhelming, right? How am I supposed to give thanks constantly for everything to God in the name of Christ when there's a lot of stuff that I don't want to give thanks for, when there's a lot of difficult stuff? This is overwhelming when we think about it. Uh, But remember, This isn't something that God, this isn't a command that God's giving us. He's not saying, go go do this, Justin, go do this now. He's saying, this is what happens when I work in your heart. This is what happens when the Spirit of God fills your heart. This is what happens over time as you meditate on the Word and as the Spirit applies the Word. These are the things that happen. And when we consider that last part, that we're to give thanks in the name of Christ, it puts into perspective how we can give thanks, right? We're reminded of what Christ has done for us. We were under God's wrath. We were separated from God. We deserve not just physical death, but we deserve eternal punishment. And Christ came at the cross and won our salvation for us and now has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And so when we take a step back to think about what Christ has done for us, it gives us some more language to give thanks in all different kinds of circumstances. And one other thing I would mention for those maybe discouraged by this thought is rather than looking at what's the most difficult thing in your life right now, uh, how am I going to give thanks for this big thing, but rather, how can I give thanks in just the everyday stuff of life? The little blessings that I encounter, whether it's food on the table, whether it's a good night's sleep, whether it's a job, whether it's family, friends, whatever it might be, if we start to cultivate this this attitude of thanksgiving in our hearts, it becomes a way of life. And so that what overflows from our souls is not complaining, but what overflows is thanksgiving in light of all that Christ has done for us. Lastly, it results in sacrificial love. And this reminds me of what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2. No need to turn there, but I'll read it. Paul says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. This is what this sacrificial love looks like. It looks like seeing the interests of others and counting them as more significant than your own. And we also see that we do this out of reverence for Christ, or uh, maybe better translated, out of fear for Christ. Why why does he say that? Why does he put it that way? I think the author, Paul, has his mind, his eye, toward the day when Christ will judge both the living and the dead. Throughout the scriptures, we see we're we're called to have fear because Christ will judge. Now, this is a, a reverent fear, but to know that Christ will judge the living and the dead one day. And so in light of that day, God calls us now to 
submit to one another, to look at the interests of others and count them as more significant than our own. But remember, this is, this is difficult, right? We, we all, we're naturally inclined to do what we want to do. But remember, this is what happens when we are filled by the Spirit. God cultivates this mind of Christ in us so that we might look at others and say, I love them, and I know I want this right now, but I want what is best for this brother or this sister. And so I'll give it up because of the joy that it will bring. One last thought we think about that day when Christ will judge the living and the dead. We're reminded that when that day comes, we'll have no need for fear in that day. Why? Christ, he's already done it. He's already accomplished our salvation. And through that accomplishment, he's filling us with the Spirit. He's filling us by the Spirit so that we'll sing to one another. He's filling us by the Spirit so that we'll sing praise to Christ. He's filling us by the Spirit so that we'll be thankful constantly for everything to God in the name of Jesus Christ. He's filling us by his Spirit so that we can show sacrificial love to our brothers and sisters here in the church. We see that God's people, we live wisely and unified by the Spirit, and we overflow with godliness because of the Spirit. Now I think of just as we arrive to our home in the Outer Banks, because of that, that car got us there, that engine was reliable, we know that the thing that will get us there, the thing that will get us home someday, and I mean home, home, to be with our Father, He's the Spirit. The Spirit guarantees that we will make it all the way home. And so we'll have no need for fear in that day. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the work of your Spirit. We thank you for how you have rescued us through the cross. We thank you for the fact that you are continually filling us by your Spirit and how we can expect to see results as we are filled by your Spirit. I pray, Lord, that you would fill us more and more with your fullness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.